You're about to listen to a new episode of Audio Signals. Get ready to take a journey into the known, the unknown, and everything in between. Recorded at no specific point in time nor space, ITSP Magazine's co-founders Marco Cipelli and Sean Martin follow their passion and curiosity as they venture away from the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society to discover new stories worth being told. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Marco. Sean. Do you hear the signal? The audio one? The audio one, the, the quattro. The quantum. <laughs> the quantum signal. The quantum signal. I don't uh, know what quattro came from. Anyway. Is that such a such a thing, or you just made that up? Quantum, quantum. I don't know. I'm making <laughs> stuff up. <laughs> you know why we're making stuff up is because today on Audio Signal we're, we're starting this series that I, I was like, you know, I I always say you you just can't know everything about everything. That would be too presumptuous. And many times I just don't know anything about a lot of things. And <laughs> And we get requests to come on the show from people that are really knowledgeable about things, especially in science and research and in, in a lot of field, honestly. And, and I said, you know, I want to have this conversation, Sean, because we, we, we expect our audience to leave our conversation with questions and to be interested in something. And you've got to start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. So I started over there. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not pointing to anywhere, but, uh, so no, I, I, I you're started, making a quantum started, joke already. I, I started in the place that you can't see because you're looking at it. I see. I see. I see. <laughs> I see you're already people are like, people are like, what the hell is he talking about? No, you know what? I, I'm going to tell you this and then I'm going to move the, the conversation with, uh, with our guest. When you read a little bit of an introduction to like, what is quantum? And you, you hear this, these words like, superimposition, interference, entanglement. And, and it sounds to me like it's magic. And that's often what they say. You know, if you don't know what it is, many times it sounds like it is magic. And, and people sometimes are afraid of it. So let's see if we today talk about quantum computing. But we start from the beginning, understanding maybe what quantum is for a person that doesn't really know that much about that. And guess what? We brought someone to do that, Sean. You're not going to rely on me this time. <laughs> no, sorry, oh, man. Thank goodness. No, no. Cybersecurity, yes, but uh, not for quantum. Well, let's, let's bring Doug in. <laughs> let's bring Doug in. So uh, our guest today is uh, Professor Doug Tugo. And uh, we are excited to talk to you. I'm not sure about what, but... Uh... I'm excited too. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. 
<laughs> Why don't we start from the beginning? Uh, a little bit about yourself. Uh, I mean, I already break the fact that you are a professor. So, um, yeah. what do you teach? Where do you teach? And uh, so how do you uh, get there? I'm actually the Dean of Engineering now at Valparaiso University. Uh, I have been teaching in electrical and computer engineering at Valpo for the last 25 plus years. Um, before that, I was in graduate school where I began to study quantum mechanics and quantum computing. And I've been doing that research for nearly 30 years now. So it's it's been an exciting time. Back in the 90s, we would say, by the time 2020 gets here, we'll be able to do these things. And 2020 has already come and gone. So now we're able to do some of the things we've been planning to do for, for decades. And what are those things? Uh, well, it's, it's <laughs> to me, it's the future of computing. It's uh, it's computing that's based not on traditional uh, physics, but on quantum quantum physics, quantum mechanics. You know, it's it's kind of like uh, there are there are three three domains of physics. There's the physics of our normal world of things that are about the same size as us and and that move at about the same speed as us, sometimes considerably faster, but not 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 as fast as say the speed of light. Then there is uh, relativity. That's the study of things that are very, very large and things that are moving very, very fast. And that has really its own type of physics. And then there is the study of things that are very, very, very small. And that's the study of things that, that involve quantum physics or quantum mechanics. And so what we find is that as we begin to, to design computer chips, uh, the computer chips work really, really well as, as they're sort of our size and as they get smaller and smaller. But eventually they begin to impinge upon the domain of quantum mechanics. And then, then weird things begin to happen. The rules are just completely different. And uh, our, our, our common sense, which has been developed by the physics of things that are about our size, begins to just fail. And, uh, and so what we find is that quantum mechanics, quantum mechanics can be a real challenge for these sorts of computing opportunities once you begin to shrink the, 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 the circuits down much, much smaller. But the benefit of quantum computing is that it actually uses those quantum mechanics rules to be able to do the actual calculations. So rather than opposing them, they 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 use those rules. It's sort of like, uh, you know, if you tried to play football on a, on an ice hockey rink, it would be very bad. It would be it would be horrible. But if you put ice skates on, all of a sudden now you've got a whole a whole new sport, a whole new game. And so by using quantum mechanics rather than trying to oppose it, we're actually finding that we're in a whole new game. Well, so many questions already. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the first. I, you kind of touched on it, but I'm still still wanting to know more. That the difference between quantum mechanics, quantum computing, quantum physics, and I don't know if there are other quantum yep. terms yep. that we should be aware of. And what what's the connection connection and relationship between those things? I think you said computer yeah. computing uses the rules of mechanics, but what what's that landscape look like? Absolutely. So I guess I would say that quantum physics is really just another word for quantum mechanics or vice versa. Those two are largely interchangeable, at least from a layman's perspective. So it's really just the, the laws of physics at a very small scale. And then quantum computing in its various forms, there are many forms of quantum computing, uh, and they all are really just computing using computer chips that are based on, on the rules of quantum physics. So taking advantage of the very odd behaviors we see for very, very small things. So let's let's backtrack one second, and then and then I'm sure the focus is going to be on on computing and and what is the future and what it allow will allow us to to do. But if you had to explain quantum physics to as you know as they used to say to to grandma or <laughs> someone, and how how would you present that? Because it really 
tough to grasp. I mean, I, I, I read, I, I try to understand. I read, you know, Einstein biography and then what happened after that. But my mind is not it, that kind of science. So yeah. how can we grasp it as an everyday person interested in it, of course, and, and say, OK, I, I got it. I, at least I know what it is. Yeah. Um, so as you say, it is, it is, you know, I've, I've probably taken a half a dozen classes in quantum mechanics that I've been doing research in this area for 30 years. And I'm not sure that I still completely understand. <laughs> it's I, like, I heard it's like the metaverse. We exactly. don't know. <laughs> there are maybe a dozen people in the world who really completely understand quantum mechanics. I'm not one of those dozen people, but I'll do my very best. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in our world, things are very certain. I know how large an object is. I know where it's located. I know how fast it's moving. But at the very, very small scale, those things are much less certain. Um, I can't really say with certainty exactly where an object is. Or if I say where, where exactly where it is, I can no longer say exactly how fast it's moving. So there's, there's this uncertainty principle that says that we don't really know both where it's located and, and what its momentum is. There's also lots of very complicated interactions among the particles. And those, those complicated interactions are, are the best part because they're the reasons why quantum computing shows so much promise. But I'll also say that, that the particles at the, at the very small domains, they behave very strangely. So for example, I can have a particle that is uh, inside of a wire, and then an instant later, it's inside of an adjacent wire. And at no point in time was it in between those two wires. That's known as quantum tunneling. And my brain doesn't really accept the fact that it can be in one place, and then it's in another place, and at no point was it in between those two places. But physics doesn't care what my brain thinks. Physics just works. And so we have to accept that, that it has been measured, it has been demonstrated dozens of times that this is the case. And we have to try to find ways, if, if, even if we don't truly absorb and internalize the ideas, we can use them. We can use them in very effective ways to do very interesting calculations. Mm. And is that the, is that the goal? Uh, you said calculations, because I'm trying to figure out what, what we're trying to do here. I'm going to take a second, because you, you talked about uncertainty. Yes. I remember early in my uh, program management days, th this concept of ambiguity. You don't know what something is looking at building a product, let's say. Um, there are many things that can play a role in how, how well or how fast or how uh, on time or on budget you can build something. Um, so this ambiguity of something can change if you embrace that and be prepared for the change. I can foresee an end goal, right? And, and kind of manage to that. Is that the purpose of embracing the uncertainty in, in quantum computing? Or is that even messed up in my mind that that's, no, not, that's not what we're trying to do? That's trying actually, to control, control an endpoint. That's a very apt analogy. I would say um, another very special thing about quantum mechanics is that every single time you try to measure something, you change it. And that's a perfect analogy to management, that, that when you measure something, you change the behavior of the thing that you're trying to measure. The same thing is true of, a, of a, um, an atom or a molecule or an electron. Every time that I measure it, it changes its state. So, for example, um, a, a, there might be a region of space where this electron could exist. But as soon as I measure exactly where it's located, then it's exactly there. But until I measure it, it could have been any of those places. It could have been anywhere within that range. But once I measure it, now it's locked into that location. 
Now, if I let it then evolve and move back to its normal state and don't pay attention to it, then it will, it will go, spread back out again and it'll be in that region. If I measure it again, it could appear somewhere else. But once I measure it, it has changed. But another thing that I think you tied into is, is sort of the difference in philosophy between uh, a scientist and an engineer. A scientist, their goal in life is to understand the world to understand the, the laws of physics or to understand how biology or chemistry or, or whatever science you're studying, how that works and to be able to push, push back the, the darkness, to be able to push back the, the frontier of knowledge so that we know more about exactly how the world works. And that is a spectacular calling. An engineer's calling though, is to build on top of that and do something useful with that knowledge. So the engineer takes the work of the scientist and, and then applies it to create something new that performs a useful task. And that's really what we're, what we're focusing on. So whereas physicists are, are focused on understanding how the world works, engineers are focused on making the world better. And, and so we see quantum mechanics as an opportunity to build something new that can do something that is incredibly useful in a, in a very effective sort of way. You know, that remind me also what, coming from sociology there is this thing that when you when you tell somebody you're studying their behavior their behavior change <laughs> so there you go i mean yeah. we, we we're using our brain we use psychology we still don't understand how that works but right. according to what you said that doesn't mean that we cannot apply it that's right there's so actually that, a maybe the most famous experiment in all of quantum mechanics is called the double slit experiment where if you are observing the particles they behave one way. And if you're not observing the particles, they behave a very different way. This, this experiment, boy, again, it's one of those, I just can't seem to get my mind around, but it doesn't matter because it works. And so we try right. to find ways to use it to do useful things. It's kind of like, let it go. Just exactly. It. Yep. <laughs> you have to sort of leave your, your common sense on a shelf uh, and just apply what, what has been measured. Yep. So, and then I guess in, in general, that's probably hard to do, but then I'm trying to figure out, well, do we have to leave our understanding of the world on the shelf as we try to figure out what we're trying to accomplish <laughs> with quantum? Well, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned a world of quantum. I'm wondering, is that a space we enter into because it, it operates differently than what we're used to? And then we leave that world? Or is there a connection to the physical world where physics we understand apply? How, how does that connect? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great question. Uh, two of the biggest challenges of, of using quantum computing are getting the inputs into the quantum device and then taking the outputs out of the quantum device. And both of those challenges lie right at that domain of we're, we're getting into an area that is very quantum mechanics based, but we're coming from a conventional uh, processor. And then we're at the output, we're taking them out of a quantum device and moving them into a conventional processor. So you're right, those, those boundaries, domain changes or, or, or domain boundaries are always the most challenging part of a design project. And, and that's really what's happening here as well. So this is all fascinating and I think it's very philosophical too. So I, I can totally go there. But I would like to know all this that I don't understand it, but I can control it, which is kind of what we do about a lot of things in, yes. in, in, in natural science as well. What are the applications of quantum computing and, and how that change what we're already doing with computing? I mean, I know faster calculation, way faster calculation. And, and then what? 
Yeah. So it's 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 really interesting if you if you kind of think back to well I wasn't here but in the 1950s um, uh, when computers were just sort of beginning to emerge uh, there were some problems that were very quickly accepted as being oh this is ideal for for a computer to do uh, calculating for example ballistics tables when we were, we're choosing how to how to launch uh, a, a you know a, a, a missile not a missile but a projectile. Um, that was one thing that computers were very good at. Also, doing things like uh, census calculations, where there are huge numbers that need to be added together. These these were very early sorts of problems in the 1950s for for the very first computers, and and they were selected not because they were necessarily the most important problems, but because they were the problems that were the best fit for the technology. And the same thing is happening in in quantum computing as well. There are the analogies between 1950s with with Condition, conventional computing and, and the 2020s with quantum computing are very, very similar. In both cases, there's a new technology that is the, the, the capacity, the future potential is practically endless, but it's still in its, in its, in its infancy. And so we, we begin to look for problems that are a good fit for the, for the technology, even though it's in, in, in its infancy. And there are some that have immediately come up. Um, one that I'm certain will be of interest to your listeners is cryptography, um, RSA algorithm, and 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 maintaining cybersecurity is certainly one of them. Um, search problems is another one. If I told you that, um, for example, there are a billion of these boxes, and inside of one of those boxes is a prize, but you have to search and find the prize. Well, ordinarily, you would expect to have to open about, on average, a half a billion boxes, um, and maybe as many as a billion boxes to find the prize. But because of the weirdness of quantum computing, it can actually do it in sort of the square root of that number. So it can solve it much, much more quickly. Um, simulations, especially simulations of, of uh, molecular systems, uh, drug design, computer-aided drug design is, a, is an important uh, possible uh, application. Uh, genomics, improving the speed with which we can uh, sort of study the genome of, of a living being. Machine learning, data mining, these are all applications where there are likely to be huge steps forward, uh, or in some cases, maybe backward, uh, <laughs> the, the, the power of quantum computing. Now, it, so it, I'm trying to connect the dots here. So maybe we, we can focus in on the healthcare examples, uh, perhaps. Um, so I guess physics and engineering, connecting those two things together, in in the traditional world not in quantum uh yes. we're bound to the way we think we're bound to the physics of the computer and the way that it works and i don't know what what's the you, you mentioned embracing the uncertainty and kind of yeah. throwing away our logic if you will in in the quantum space how and you said kind of the square root of the time it takes how does that help create new things and maybe i don't know if you can describe the the scenarios in, in the medical sure. space or one scenario sure. in the medical space to help, help yeah let's understand. let's take let's take the medical spaces as, as a great example uh the the so anytime now that we're looking at doing drug design we're basically looking at very complicated molecules and those complicated molecules will often twist and form themselves into very complicated ge geometries and those very very complicated geometries are very difficult to calculate uh, to the point where these uh, drug manufacturers will often have uh, supercomputers that can help to model the devices, model the, the molecules that they're designing. Um, and quantum computers could do those much, much more quickly. 
more generally, I guess I would say quantum computers don't, don't, they don't enable a whole new type of calculation. They enable calculations to be done much, much, much more quickly. So anything that can be done. Is that, is that because that's just uh, because we're bound to our understanding of it? I, Cause I, I'm trying to think, can it do calculations that we can't even fathom? I, <laughs> it's so difficult because it, it's a, it's such a complicated topic, but there are, there are kind of two main things that, that quantum computers have in their advantage uh, over conventional computers. And the first of those is superposition. So superposition means that rather than a binary state where there, uh, this, this particular bit is either a one or a zero, which is kind of the way that all of modern conventional computing works, superposition simply says, I can have a one or a zero or anything in between at, with different probabilities. So maybe it's probably a one, but it could be a zero. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's probably sort of halfway between a zero and a one. Uh, and it's even more complicated than that because it can actually be a complex number. So it's actually two numbers. So rather than, rather than thinking of I either have a one or I have a zero, you could think of it as like a square. And inside of that square, there are different places that are more likely for the for the measurement to be made than other places, but but there are also places that that even though it's unlikely, it could be measured in that state. So what superposition really does is it gives us the capability of having more complicated answers. You know, when you when you're talking to a five year old, the world is very black and white. People are good and bad. Um, things uh, they're delicious and they're not. Uh, but but as you get to be an adult, you realize things are more complicated. And and in the same way, superposition simply means that things are more complicated. We don't have a one and a zero. We have a combination of of probabilities of ones and zeros and and really everything in between. So that's one of the two special powers of quantum computing. The other one is what we call entanglement. And entanglement is means that you can take. Uh, these these quantum devices, we call them qubits, Q-U-B-I-T. So these qubits, um, each one of them holds one quantum state, that, that little square that I was talking about. But if I put two of them very close side by side, I can connect them together quantum mechanically. That's known as entanglement. And then I don't really just have two, I have a pair. And, 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 and that, that pair is more powerful than the, than the two combined. So it's again that the, sort of the 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 sum is more than uh, the total is more than the sum of its parts, um, and I can go beyond two. I can have three or four. Imagine if I had five qubits or ten qubits. Um, now I'm I'm combining these together in a way where they are much much more powerful than even uh, ten individual qubits would have been. Sort of like the players on a team. They're working together to achieve a goal. They could definitely and if their team is cohesive. We call it coherent. Uh, if the team is coherent, then they're going to be able to accomplish much, much more complicated tasks. Well, let me ask you something, because this is all fascinating. I remember 15 years ago, maybe, uh, was a good friend with a, with a scientist, a quantum scientist. And he, he was doing research on quantum computing with a company called D-Wave in Canada, I believe. And he was always telling me his biggest problem was to control the environment. So they knew what he could do, but they were working on, I, I don't even remember, like he was showing me like this, this circle where, where the quantum is active and I'm being very ignorant here, uh, freezing it, or I remember it was bringing me an example, and it's like, yeah, we're almost there, we're almost there. So the question for me, 
for you is, are we there yet? We're almost there. Um, <laughs> almost to an extent, there. we're there. Damn it. Do we, do we know? <laughs> I, I, I think, well. As soon as you I check say, to see if you're there, it's different. You say. Are we there and there and over there? We're, we're in between. Um, so there are, there are, of course, a couple of really big companies. Google and, and IBM are, are the two biggest leaders that I'm aware of. And then just hundreds, thousands of startup companies that are all working in this in this same area. Um, the, the biggest computer, the biggest quantum computer that I've heard of is 127 qubits. Uh, and 127 qubits is, is, is pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, that's from IBM. At 100 qubits, it's, it would be equivalent to the fastest regular computer. So already they, they have a computer that is faster than, than the, the largest regular computer. If you can get to 1,000 qubits, it can solve problems that are beyond any modern computer. And the, I just heard a presentation from the CEO of, of IBM. They said that they expect to be at 1,000 qubits within two to three years. So within two to three years, they'll be at a, com at a computer, at a quantum computer that can solve problems better than any non-quantum computer. And at that point, we begin to think, you know, what is the future? Where, where, when will we transition from regular computing to quantum computing? If we can go beyond 1,000 qubits, now uh, there's a lot of challenges, and we'll talk about those challenges, but... We can go beyond a thousand qubits to ten thousand qubits, a hundred thousand qubits. The, the the future is really remarkable. If, if, if again going back to the 1950s, if you would have told someone in 1950 that we would have a chip that had, you know, a hundred billion uh, transistors on it, they would absolutely not have believed you. And in the same way, if you talk to someone today and say, "Can you imagine a world in which there'd be a chip that has ten thousand qubits on it?" They would say, "Heck no! There's no way that's going to ever happen." Well. Nothing is more likely to happen than if you tell an engineer that something is impossible. That, that, is, that is a great way to, to motivate them to work hard. So talk, talk to me about some of the technologies, because you're talking about chips, and the first thing that comes to mind is uh, the GPU. I'm just wondering, are there, are there overlaps in technologies? Um, can I run a quantum computer on my MacBook, or does it require a special <laughs> computer with certain types of chips? Uh, what's that technology landscape? Uh, where things begin to overlap with uh, quantum and other stuff? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. The, the, the short answer is no. Unfortunately, the computers on our desktops can't do quantum computing. They can simulate quantum computing. That's what my research does. Uh, mm. But they can't actually perform the quantum uh, calculations. But the, the, the devices that are used to fabricate our laptop and desktop computers can also be used to fabricate quantum computers. So we're now already down to the place where we can fabricate electronic devices that are on the scale of a couple nanometers. Uh, and, and that's now we're talking about maybe something that is the width of 20 atoms. So if, if I, I often think of, 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 the, of the, the boundary as being about one nanometer, about 10, about 10 atoms, that's when we get into solidly quantum mechanics domain. So if, if we were to stop producing, you know, uh, not that we would, but if we were to stop producing uh, regular computers, we could use those, those facilities to produce uh, quantum computers as well. There are, by the way, there are probably 30 or more competing different ways to produce uh, quantum computers. And, and we'll have to wait and see which one's going to turn out to be the best. There are two that seem very popular right now. There's uh, superconducting qubits. And so these are these are the ones that are made on on sort of traditional uh, technology. They're sort of based on the same manufacturing methods that we've been using for many years to make uh, modern computer chips. Um, and then there's also something called trapped ion. 
trapped ion is very different. This is where we take very complicated molecules, uh, uh, could be yttrium or something like that, and and and, uh, and put them into a, a, a magnetic field that can hold them in place. And and it it gets more complicated if you're talking about a trapped ion. But on the other hand, um, it is uh, it is much. It, there are some things that make it very very promising as well. So there are traditional quantum computers that we can build using traditional methods. And then there are others that are a little bit more out there, but, but have a lot to, a lot of things that sort of speak in their favor. So let's, let's stick with this for another moment. So that there's the computer and it can do stuff, but it has to be told what to do. <laughs> so the, the programs, the applications there, I presume it has data storage necessity. I don't know if it, that requires off offline storage as well. Um, what does that world look like? Um, and are we kind of there? Do we have all those parts in place, networking and all the other stuff that goes with it? So we actually have quite a lot of that in place. Um, the, fortunately, this is a problem that, that we've been working on for about 30 years now or, or 40. I've been in it for 30, but it's been around for longer than that. Um, the, 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 the programming, I, I, I don't want to use the word programming because I don't want you to think that this would be done in Java or, or C++ or something. It's, it's going to be a completely different type of programming, uh, but it's still that, that capability exists. IBM actually has a, a, a quantum computer that they allow people to program and they run thousands of, 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 of simulations, not simulations, they run thousands of, they call them circuits every day. Uh, and so the tools are available. They're open source right now. Uh, they're they're currently free to run. You have to you know you have to apply. But once you've once you've been approved, you can you can run your quantum circuits on a, on an IBM uh, quantum computer. Um, there are challenges, as we mentioned. The getting the data into the quantum computer is challenging. Getting the data out is challenging. Um, th there are some other challenges too. Uh, but but yeah, a lot of the tools are already in place right now. It, it becomes. It becomes a challenge of increasing the size and scale of the quantum computers to be able to achieve our goals. All right, so we have artificial intelligence. We talk about general artificial intelligence. Some people say it's the end of the world, apocalypse taking over. We're all going to be submerged by paper clips and stuff like that. And then, and then we have. We're not getting there because the computer needs to be more powerful. So quantum computer seems to me one of those superpower that comes with a lot of responsibility. Yes. Right? So I'm envisioning that if you put together artificial intelligence and quantum computing, you will be building some kind of a monster. So let, let's talk about kind of as we, as we close for this episode, because I have a feeling there's going to be more pro and cons of what could bring if we could not control it. Uh, breaking encryption is one of the first come in my mind and passwords at that point is like, yep, yeah, whatever. The, the door is made of paper. I'm just going to bring it down. Uh, other things like that, that you're excited about and other things that you may be a little concerned about. We need ethics here. Yeah, I, I think any, any engineer with a conscience is concerned about the possible applications of the work that they do. I know that we spend a lot of time here at Valparaiso University teaching our students about being concerned about the ethical implications of their work. And, and I think that that certainly is the case here. Um, in the same way that there are ethical implications of, of conventional computing, um, the ability to communicate widely with a broad audience seems at first like it would be 
you know, a unilateral good, but there are drawbacks to it as well if what you're communicating is false. Um, so you have to you have to think about what are the implications of quantum co computing in particular. You already identified the first one that comes to mind, which is that there are going to be some serious repercussions uh, to cybersecurity, cryptography, um, passwords. Those are those are all going to become much much more challenging. Um, machine learning and AI is another big challenge that I think that that we need to give a lot of thought to. Um, I know that that. That's not really the area where my research focuses on, so that isn't one that I've given a lot of thought to. Um, but I know that there are people who are definitely giving that a lot of thought. Speaking of thinking, I mean, we, we've we've examined this, so now we've changed it, and and it is our perception of quantum computing. Hopefully, hopefully we've done that job today. Um, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, there's no question we can continue down 20 different paths and, and have an equally long conversation uh, along each path. I, I think today we got a nice overview of what it is, what's possible. I don't know that we have an answer of when <laughs> and many other questions I'm sure remain unanswered. I think the interesting thing for me, um, having an engineering mindset and, and uh, a programming mindset is that there are systems available. Uh, to play with. Um, IBM is the one example you gave. I, I think that's that's cool. I think for, for people listening that might be interested in this topic, they probably already know more than, than I do <laughs> if they're interested in it. But the idea that there's, there's a place they can go to explore uh, and to see what's possible. Um, and perhaps, uh, Doug, you can share some of your work and some of the work that uh, maybe some of your students have done or other projects that you think folks listening to this might be might be interested in and find useful um, to to explore more and we'll, we'll ask for you to share some of those with us uh, offline and we can include those in the show notes for for folks to follow up with absolutely yeah as a matter of fact it, we didn't actually get into uh, what, what you specialize into the research which is the quantum cellular automata that's what what it is that's and, right. and it's funny because when when we talked about this conversation, I was like, I'm probably would love to have this conversation if I had a clue of what that is. So I think we can leave it for a next conversation. And and I I really enjoy this one. I Sean is the the engineer mind. I'm more like the storytelling. So I, I just look at quantum as I look at magic. It's fantasy for me, but it's a great story, and I know it's real. So don't get me wrong. I know it's real. Uh, Sean, I had a lot of fun. I think we both agree that we should have more conversation with uh, Professor T. Yes, and absolutely. So please come back. We'll, we'll, we'll plan on that. But first of all, uh, we invite everybody to listen to this. Of course, if they got here, they already listened. But who knows? Maybe they're at the beginning now. Listen to how it again. I, how do I know? Maybe they're listening to this and to another one at the same time. And... Um, and if you guys have questions, uh, let us know. Post it on the social media. Maybe we'll we'll ask uh, Doug uh, next time. So uh, I'd like to know that there's people that get excited about this stuff. That's so thank you very, very much. Yeah, thank you, Doug. Thank you. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate 
their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at Nintex.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Audio Signals. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society, and some even beyond that.